So we're going to do the WWDWWD again. Anybody remember what that is? Why we do what we do. We've covered evangelism, baptism, sacrificial love, and today we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper or communion, as we call it. And um, we're going to try to cover today what, what that really means, what it means to us, and kind of break it down. A lot of different religious organizations kind of define this differently. But we're going to walk through that. Some, some talk about it's a, well, it's a tradition in the church. Well, I, I don't know about that really. When, when we get in the Word, I think about a tradition. I've got a tradition at our house. started about two decades ago. I don't really know how it got started. I don't know why it got started. Uh, but I've been blessed with a lot of grandchildren. A lot of grandchildren come with a lot of dirty diapers. And it don't matter if it's grandchildren or just somebody visiting that has a small child. They'll go up to my wife or one of my kids and say something like, hey, I need to change the diaper. And say, oh, go down this hall, turn right. On Paul's side of the bed is where we do that. That's become a tradition for almost the last two decades that started with my number one granddaughter. <laughs> it's the best spot. You know, you, you talk about that. I don't know how it started. I don't know why it still exists other than it's my side of the bed. But at the end of the day, what a blessing that i got grandkids that are able to do that and other kids that come to our house. So what we're going to talk about is communion. And when I use the word communion, think of it as the Lord's Supper. There's a lot of different names for it. Lord's Supper, Sacrament, Eucharist. Y'all might have heard that before. Uh, a lot of different names. But if I say communion, I'm talking about the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, and the way it's spelled out in the Bible. So instead of a tradition, we want to know where did it come from? What is it? What's it stand for? What's God's Word say about it? And then, should we participate in it or should we not? Where did it come from? In Exodus, Exodus 12, the, uh, go back into the Old Testament, Egypt has enslaved uh, the Jewish people, God's, God's chosen people. At this point in, in Exodus 12, I'm going to kind of paraphrase here, God's talking to Moses. And he's talking to him about telling him and giving him instructions about the tenth plague that's going to fall on Egypt. He's already put nine on Egypt, trying to get Pharaoh to let his people go. Of course, that hadn't happened up to this point. So he's given them very, very specific directions on how we're going to handle this. And basically what the tenth plague is going to be, he tells them that you need to go out and sacrifice a lamb. And that lamb needs to be blemishless. This is how you cook it. This is how you eat it. This is how you dispose of it. All of those things... It's very specific. But the main thing is he's going to tell them to put the blood over the doorway, the blood of the lamb. And what will happen, he's going to send the angel of death onto Egypt and all of the male firstborn of a household and all of the animals firstborn of a household are going to be killed. But with the blood, God will pass over your door and won't touch your family. That's really where the origin of this comes from. We kind of fast forward a little bit. And Jesus is meeting with his disciples. They're, they're in a borrowed building. They're in a room upstairs is about what we know. And in there, they're celebrating the Seder or the, the feast of Passover, the meal of Passover that, that marks that significance of, of what happened. So we, we go to Luke because in the middle of this supper, this Seder they're having, and, and, and I love Luke the way he explains this, Jesus changes the setting. He, he kind of, the, the mood kind of changes from the worshiping and honoring the Passover to the beginning of the New Covenant. If you wonder where the New Testament starts, it's right here. And Jesus started the New Testament. 
So Luke 22, 19 and 20. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. That's where it all starts. Y'all bow with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today with a humble heart. We ask you just to block the world out for, for just a few minutes. Open our hearts and our minds to your word and your message. Lord, show us show us how to, uh, how to honor this, this act and how to, how to do this in remembrance of your sacrifice for us. In Christ's name I pray, amen. But we're going to talk first about what it's not. Communion does not save, but it's only for the saved. If, if you're not a Christian, if you hadn't accepted Christ as your Savior, this isn't for you. You're, you're not supposed to partake in it. But by all means, if you're not a Christian, it doesn't mean you're not supposed to partake in the service because God's got something to say to you today as the Christians celebrate the Lord's Supper. So what, what, what else is it not? Communion elements do not transform into the literal body and blood of Jesus, but are symbols of Jesus' sacrifice. There, there's nothing superficial going on here. I remember when I was a little kid, that's really blood? You know, I, I didn't know. But some, some religions actually talk about it is. It's not. They're symbols. They're symbols. That's what Jesus intended and that's what they are. Communion is not about being worthy enough, but it's to be received in a worthy manner. Remember, and the only worthy one was Jesus. And then the, the last one is communion does not forgive sins, but reminds the forgiven of the one who did forgive all sins. So, and, I, and I've heard, and, and I know y'all have too, that man, I've been, I've been living bad. I need this and that. I need, to, I need to participate in communion to get atonement for my sins. That's not the way it works. And we're, we're, we're going to break that down. It's, it's kind of like baptism. Baptism is something we do out of obedience. This is something we do in remembrance and to proclaim. It's, it's not a saving act. If you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11, it's right after Romans. Uh, we're going to go through 17 through 34. Quite a few scriptures, but I'm going to cover some of it pretty fast. Uh, when Gary told me he wanted a good table at Chili's, so I need to get him out of here kind of early. While you're turning to 1 Corinthians 11, if you don't have a Bible, pick one up. If you don't have one, take it home with you. This is a letter Paul is writing to the people at the church of Corinth. And he's got something very specific to say about the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, the communion, the things like that. So I'm going to pick up in, uh, in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. Pretty abrupt opening to a letter. Uh, Paul's not patting them on the back or nothing. Matter of fact, he's kind of slapping them around a little bit. And he actually went as far as saying, when y'all get together, you're actually doing more harm than you're doing good. When, when, when I think about that, something's missing here. So Paul, what are you talking about? So in verse 18, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe that in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. 
really, there's divisions in church? Why do you think that is? So I, I had to dig into that one a little bit. Did y'all know many times in the scripture it mentions how God's providential direction in the life of the church allows for some division? He's allowed that controversy in order that genuine spiritual quality of individual believers would be known. I mean, it's kind of like being tested by fire. Until you go through that test, you really don't know what that person believes and what they stand for. So I can, I can see that. Moving on to verse 20, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Uh, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Paul's not letting up. What, what the church at Corinth was doing is they actually had like a, a festival and it would last all day. They called it their agape fest, their love fest. And there, there was a lot of things going on. Evidently, eating and drinking abounded. Uh, even some people got drunk. But towards the end of the festival, at the end of the day, it was all day long, towards the end of it is when they would uh, practice the ordinance of communion. So it was really a very minor part of their festival and not much fanfare, not much, uh, I guess, reverence. Would You know, we're, we're getting together for this big party. Oh yeah, at the end, let's throw in a communion. It's basically what Paul's saying. They were doing the opposite of what Jesus had intended. It had instructed us to do. So it's kind of like if 4th of July is coming up, isn't it? Next weekend or something like that. It'd be kind of like if I stood up here and told you instead of the 4th of July this year celebrating independence, we're going to celebrate uh, the king and queen of England. And I know Fred's looking at me like, didn't we beat England? Isn't that the reason we have? That's the opposite of the intention of that deal. My uh, That holiday or celebration, my mom's in the audience. We just had Mother's Day and Father's Day. I could have told mom, I said, you know, as when I'm young and everything, I said, you know, I, I think Pop is so good, my dad, that he deserves two days instead of one. I know it's Mother's Day, but mom, couldn't you make me and him breakfast on Mother's Day? That's the opposite. How do you think that would work? Yeah. Uh, Veterans Day. Instead of praising and honoring and thanking veterans for their deals, we did the exact opposite. That's what's going on here. So as we go through this text, remember, that's Paul's driving deal is y'all are doing opposite. The, uh, they were acting like a bunch of idiots, and Paul is calling them out on it. I think sometimes we need some more Pauls in America today to call people out. Let's talk about four main parts. The first point to be mindful about is the past. So in verse 23, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, follow along with me. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. And the Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
Jesus was very specific in what He wanted done. The same as with baptism. He wants us to do this to proclaim what He did and to remember His sacrifice. You know, we, we have all kinds of memorial statues, roadside markers, historical markers, things like that in America today that remember some, some person or some time or event. And I'm sure many of you have. I've been in the, the room when a loved one leaves this world. I've, I've been on the side of the rotor in, in industrial settings where someone breathes their last. And, and a lot of times, you know, even on the side of the road, we'll see a memorial put up or something where someone died. I'm not saying if that's good or bad or anything else, but when you ask people, are you going to a funeral? Most of them say, well, no, I'd, I'd rather remember them the way they were. And, and I get that. Kind of a memorial to a death sounds kind of strange, but Jesus was very specific. That's the purpose. This is to remember Him and what He did, His death, His blood that was spilled for us. The other thing that we need to remember here is why did He do it? In Isaiah 53.6, All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. If you look there, it says everyone. If you ever ask, somebody ever asked, why did Christ die? Why did He sacrifice? Why did He do that? Because of you and me. Because of all of us. Follow with me in 1 Peter 2, 24. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds, you've been healed. He took it all for us. God put it all on Him. Past present, and future sins. He took it all. So I, I don't know where you stand today as a Christian or if you've ever accepted Christ as your Savior. But if you haven't, He's got something. He wants to talk to you today. He's got some things to tell you. Please, there's not a better time to think about it, talk to Him about it, talk to us. In number, number our second point, we must be mindful of the future. Verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So, I looked up the word proclaim in the dictionary for all you English majors. It's a verb. It, it means do something. You know, proclaim it. Hallelujah. God died for me, for you, for everyone. That's what he wants us to proclaim that. that proclaim is, is something we do. It's not just something we say. The, uh, I could read the definition, but I can't pronounce half of the words. The, uh, Jesus is coming back. That's the future we're looking forward to. So I, I know there's whole sermons about the returning of Christ. But I can tell you what he's coming back for. He's coming back to judge the world. And you don't want to be in that judgment. It's not going to be pretty. When, when he comes back to judge, you want to make sure that your sins have already been judged and taken care of on the cross. The uh, John, let's see, 4.16. Let's go ahead and pull that up. The, uh, before I read that, I want you to I want you to know if if you think about the end times, you think about what's going on in the world today, you 
you, you look around, you pay attention to the news. You, you know, how, how do we get out of this? Well, we don't. How we get out of it is through Christ. And like I say, I don't know your upbringing. I don't know everything about everybody here. I don't know where you stand with the Lord. But there's not a better deal out there. The forgiveness that's offered through Christ. The world wants us to think that there's a lot of different ways to get out of this. But right here in John 14, 16, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. I, I'm, those of y'all that know me, I'm pretty plain spoken. I'm having trouble with this Garth Brooks microphone. The, uh, I'm pretty, pretty plain spoken, but that's pretty simple talk. The way, the life, the truth, and only through Christ. Point number three about the Lord's Supper. We must be mindful of our own hearts. Before I read the Scripture on this, remember, this is one of those where a lot of religious organizations use this to beat their people up a little bit. Like you're not good enough for anything else. So pay, pay attention during this. What Paul's got to say is pretty enlightening when we kind of unpack it. So verse 27, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Paul is saying you don't need to be worthy to take communion, but you need to take it in a worthy manner. A little newsflash, none of us are worthy. The only one that was was Christ. And any worthiness or righteousness or holiness we have comes through Him. Don't let someone beat you up about, well, you're not worthy. Well, none of us are. Verse 28, let a person examine himself and then so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats or drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill. Some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Okay, verse 31. Let's reread that. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Let's, let's unpack that a little bit. When we say examine our hearts, be honest with yourself. You don't have to tell me. You need to tell the person you're brushing your teeth with in the mirror every morning and, and be honest. If you're playing games, stop. The only person you're fooling is you. God gets it. The, uh, if you, I, any of us have sin in our hearts or we're holding on to something that we can't let go of, just don't take communion. Just let it pass by. That's what, that's what Paul's saying here. Remember, it's not about your worthiness. It's about doing it in a worthy manner. And we've probably all got something, a little private sin or something I think about that person over there I kind of like to hold on to a little bit. Well, if you can't get to a point to let go of that, just, just pass it. It's better to pass it. We are usually pretty easy on ourselves. I, I know I am. It, it's amazing. Uh, probably hard to tell out there in this light and everything, but I weigh a little over 300 pounds, but I justify bluebell ice cream every night, make an excuse for it, whatever I need to do, but I, I do get by with it. Uh, we, we, we tend to look at ourselves a little bit differently than we look at everyone else. 
we might give ourselves a little mercy where maybe we won't give someone else. If you find yourself there, be careful. You're on a slippery slope. And it doesn't end well. Remember, it's between you and God. It's not between you and a church or you and your neighbor or anything else. It's between you and God. Maybe we think we're good and not picking up on something that's going on with us. You know, that's... that's here you go, I'll testify a little bit. I'll be looking for something at my house and I can't find it. I cannot, I cannot. Well, now all my children are raised and grown and gone. So when I ask my wife about it, I get the answer that she used to give my kids. If I find it, I'm going to spank you with it. So, <laughs> you know, it, I'll honestly be looking. I'm, I'm not doing the selective sight and selective hearing that all of us husbands are guilty of. I'm actually looking, and I actually need help, but guess what? The discipline's still coming if she has to come get it. The Lord's no different in that. If you're not picking up on something, if you're not seeing something in your life, ask the Holy Spirit. Ask to reveal it. Because very passively, you might accepted behavior for you, might not be accepted behavior for God. Earlier in 1 Corinthians 4.4, 4, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Years ago, I got pulled over. Hard to believe. The law enforcement official told me I was speeding. Said I was in a 45 mile an hour zone. I couldn't find a sign anywhere. I couldn't find it. So I go to talk to the JP about it. I'm a pretty intelligent teenager at this point in my life and have all the answers. And, and I tell that judge, I say, hey, there's no signs. I didn't know it was 45. You know what his answer to me was? Ignorance of the law is no excuse, boy. Pay the fine. Just because we think that we're doing okay and we don't know, we're not the judge. And it doesn't mean we're innocent. Ask God. Even David in Psalms 139, even David asked, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In verse 32, But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Remember how I talked about up there in verse 31 about if we be judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. People, if you judge yourself truly, you know you can't fix it. So you give it to God, you accept Christ, and then guess what? You're not judged because He took it to the cross. That's how we explain verse 31. Do you all know or do you understand why God reveal sin in our life? I thought, you know, for a while it was just, oh, he likes picking on the fat kid, so he's pointing it out in my life. But actually, it's not so we can fix it. It's going to be hard for y'all to believe, but God's not real impressed with our ability to fix things. How many of y'all have, uh, I don't know, made promises to, with God? No one? I guess I'm the only one. Okay. When I've promised things to God about if we do this, we do this, or I'll get this right or whatever, all I've proved is how big an idiot I am and how much of a failure I am at that. God's not wanting those deals. So, so we ask, you know, okay, so why, why is God pointing this sin out to me? He wants us to bring it to Him. Lay it at His feet. Ask Jesus. I need your strength. I need your help. I need your power. So I'll be able to walk in victory. People, we can't get any better on our own. It's not going to happen. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit 
Can we walk in holiness? God knows this. He's known it forever. And the sooner we understand it, the better it is. He hadn't changed. When I say that, I know there's somebody out there thinking, because I've been there, about, Jay, that's real easy for you to say. You don't know what I've got going on in my life. You don't know what I'm addicted to. You don't know the things I like to do. You don't, and, and I know I know I shouldn't be doing them. So I stand up here in church on Sunday and I, and I pray with God and I talk with Him privately and I give it up and I show Him what's in my heart and I ask Him for forgiveness where I can walk in righteousness. And then you know what? I go out and do it again. You're sitting there thinking, if you only knew the hypocrite that I am, you don't think God doesn't know that? What's the first step in figuring something out? Admitting you got a problem. Remember what we... Get this, people. Write this down. What we call hypocrisy, God calls honesty. God knows we're going to fail. And He still wants us to come to Him. He loves us even when you can't love yourself. So if we'll do this, if you'll do this in your heart, if you'll get right, if you'll ask the Holy Spirit, does that make you worthy? Nope. But it makes you approach communion in a worthy manner once you give that up and ask God to continue to show you that. Ask Him to grow you through those problems. Don't let repeated sin or something you're holding on to stand between you and honoring our Lord. Point number four, we must be mindful of others. John asked me, which is your most important point? I really don't know. But then I go back to what the Word says when Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? Anybody know? Love each other just like you love your God. John said, this is your most important point. So in verse 33, So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it's not for judgment about the other things I will give you directions when I come. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Wait for one another. Paul means that literally because it was literally not happening. There was people that would bring and they'd be having a big feast and festival and then there's people over here that didn't have things and they, they weren't sharing. They, they weren't. They were being selfish. They were doing the opposite of what Christ had intended. So ask yourself in the past week, month, I don't know, how many times, this isn't a rhetorical answer it to yourself, but how many times in the last week or month have you listened or seen someone or seen someone's need with an intentional purpose? How many times have y'all had something happen in your life and People will call you, text you, or I guess the cool things you get on Facebook now. If you need anything, let me know. But how many times have we said that and we were actually scared our phone was going to ring? It should be intentional that we're thinking about someone else. Not about, well, if I help them do that, then I won't be able to do this this weekend or something. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul is talking about we should intentionally, intentionally try to be helping each other. And sometimes that's passive, I agree. Sometimes we're so busy. Sometimes that 
uh, we can be passive and we think, well, everything's going all right. You know, how many of y'all have said this? I didn't know. No one said anything. You know, I don't want to get in their business. They would tell me if they needed something, wouldn't they? I think about the egg toss story. There's a church and they're going to have a big summer fellowship and festival and it's being planned for weeks. There's going to be barbecue and homemade ice cream and singing. It's going to be a street party. Well, they, they identify one, one lady in the church. Let's call her Miss Martha. She's going to set up the games. And what I'm talking about is the, you know, the horseshoes or the washers or the, the sack race or the watermelon seed spitting contest, whatever we're doing, Miss Martha's over that. And she's wrangling it and running it. So everybody's having a great time and everybody's partying and playing and partaking of the games and it comes up time for the egg toss. You get two people, you start pretty close, you throw an egg, they throw it back. When the egg breaks, you're out. Every time you catch it, you're supposed to move out further and move out further. The eggs get higher, the eggs get harder, uh, thrown, and before long, you know, you eliminate, get down to champions. Well, we're in the middle of the egg toss game, and Miss Martha's looking. She's walking around with her clipboard, making sure everything's flowing good, and she notices a little girl, 19 years old, standing outside the game watching in. Got her little brother with her. And, I mean, these kids are intent. They're in this. It's like watching a championship tennis match at Wimbledon. They're watching that egg back and forth, back and forth. So she goes over and asks the little girl, said, hey, would y'all like to participate? And, she, and the little girl looks at Miss Martha and goes, oh, no, ma'am. No, no, no. And she says, well, well okay, I see you're, you're really into this game. Would you want to play? No. And she said, well, is there anything I can do, sweetie? And she says, yeah. If y'all have any eggs left over, can me and my brother take them home? We don't have any food. People passively, we can look right past those things. So how do you do it? We ask the Holy Spirit for one, but you ask each other. And when you say, is there anything I can do? Mean it or don't say it. When we come together as a body of the fellowship of Jesus, I can't do what I want without considering you and vice versa. That's, that's the way we should be. Brothers and sisters, we must deal with issues, minister to one another. We have to be. We must be tenderhearted towards each, each other's needs. Remember, what is the greatest commandment? So why is this in the Lord's Supper? Why is, is this point in the Lord's Supper? I mean, we covered the origin. We covered what Christ did for us. We, uh, we covered, you know, that we need to be doing it because in remembrance. But, but why is this part in there? Why did Paul tear up the church of Corinth so hard on this? It's because the Lord's Supper is all about a selfless attitude, a selfless act. Jesus was thinking of me and every one of y'all when He took our burdens and our sins to that cross. That's what the celebration's about. How can we celebrate something by doing the opposite? And that's what Paul is saying. 
We must care for one another the way Christ cared for you, cared for me. I hope God's Word has answered some of your questions. Remember, Passover, or the Last Supper, celebrates the milestone when God freed His people from slavery in Egypt. That's the reason it's called the Last Supper. Communion is the celebration of the greatest milestone in history and the proclamation for what Jesus did for us on the cross to free everybody from the slavery of sin.